Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. You are suffering separation anxiety right now. You're hurting deeply. You're not going to see the treehouse. You must be in, you know, pre-K to fifth grade to go see the treehouse live. We are in this transition period and transitions are always difficult. We don't like change, do we? But we have to roll with it. And the kids are just delighted. I know so many of you parents are delighted. You've wanted, you've looked forward to this day. So Mr. Rob Susan is live with your children this morning and it's a great thing. So uh, we'll move on with uh, the word of God this morning. We heard at the open of today's service, scripture from the letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it began with, may you experience the love of Christ. That's somewhat a theme today, love, love, and the love of Christ the love of God that works in us and is to be exemplified in us. And as I get there, I want to I ask you to imagine something or get an image in your mind. I want an image in your mind before we get underway. Have you ever met someone who has been so compelled, so single-mindedly focused, so driven on something, you might just say, they're on a mission. Look out, get out of the way. That person's on a mission. Things like that. We heard Brother Barry up here this morning saying, I just have to worship. Don't we just have to worship? It's, it, it's got to come out of us. That's, a, that's something that's compelling. We can't help but doing it. Perhaps you know someone like that, or you could think of someone from the past, someone from history, a a composer, for example, who just had that opus in them and it had to come out. They worked, they worked so uh, diligently on it, or or perhaps an artist, a, a sculptor. They had this this image in their mind that tirelessly they work day and night to sculpt that rock until the image they had came out of the rock or maybe an inventor. Think of an inventor perhaps like Thomas Edison. It said that Edison worked over 3,000 theories on the incandescent light bulb and then thousands and thousands of filament tries to, to, to get a lasting bulb. He kept at it for years. He didn't, he didn't sleep but a couple hours of a night because this had to come out of him. There are famous people. They've done great things. They've done great works, whether it's been in music or art, mathematicians, scientists, authors. You might you know, think of Taylor or a seamstress that just they, they've got to sew, things like that. Their craft is just burning within them and it's bursting and it's got to come out. Can you picture such a person? Maybe it's even uh, someone you know. Maybe it's you. You're just compelled uh, to do something. You have this single-minded focus. Keep that image in your mind. 
Keep that image in your mind as we continue this morning in our life apps, life application from the Gospels uh, in, in the New Testament, specifically the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is delivering this great message to a crowd of Galileans, ordinary, everyday people. He's teaching them things they hadn't heard before. Jesus was presenting to them an entirely new way to consider God's word and God's laws. The the people were amazed at his teaching. They hadn't experienced such clarity and authority. And Jesus commanded authority. And he had captured their attention. And here at the end of Matthew chapter 5, where we're at today... I want to share with you the closing verses of Matthew chapter 5. This is verses 43 through 48. Jesus speaking, he said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to shine or to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that closes out Matthew chapter 5. Once again, Jesus is flipping the common teaching of the Jewish religion of the day, the Pharisaical teaching. He's turning it on its head. And it's no coincidence that this follows what we heard about last week when Pastor Barry was preaching about vengeance. If someone hits you, give him the other cheek. If someone takes your shirt, give him your coat too. Don't resist the evil person, Jesus said. Then Jesus took it a step further. Love that person. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor. That's scripture, yes, that, that was written in the scripture that those people who are listening to Jesus had. The third book of their Bible, which is our Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But it didn't go on and say, hate your enemy. No, that wasn't there, but it seems that it had been added by perhaps the zealots of the time, perhaps others who loathed being under the thumb of the occupying force of Rome. There was the Roman taxation. There was the arbitrary Roman justice. There was Roman intrusion into nearly every aspect of life. Love your neighbor, but yeah, hate that enemy. Hate the one that's just making our lives miserable. 
And then here's Jesus living in that same society and he says it completely differently. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Remember, Jesus was speaking to a crowd that understood persecution. They understood those who were unwelcome in in their life, the, the unjust and the wicked enemy who had occupied their land and wielded power and control over their lives. Love them? Pray for them? That's way easier said than done, Jesus. That, that first century audience, though, it wasn't really very different than us. It was everyday people, regular folks. Jesus' words apply to us as well. How can we love those we just don't want to love? Enemies, people who hurt us. Before we get to that how-to, the practical application, let's consider some of the way that Jesus explained this statement, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus expounded on it. I'll repeat verses 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Loving your friends, loving those you call your own, being hospitable, welcoming those who are near and dear to you, loving someone because they give you just a great reason to love them. That's that's entry-level love. That's on par with the world. That's tax collectors and pagans, Jesus said. But Jesus expressed an altogether new way, way beyond the way of the world, beyond the tax collectors, beyond the, the way that they just love and welcome only their peers. Jesus said, love those you really have no desire to love, the unlovely. They may hurt you. They may have persecuted you. And Jesus said, greet them. Love them. That's his directive. And I know it's easier said than done. How can we apply it? How can we, how, how can we put this into practice in our lives? Let's think about how Jesus addressed what motivates such love. And if we understand that, then the how-to that falls easier into place. Jesus used one of the most basic motivational words there is. It's just a foundational motivational term, and that term is reward. If you love like the tax collectors, if you love like the pagans, what's the reward? Not much, really. You love those who love you, there's really not so much incentive to motivate loving more, loving 
deeper. But Jesus, he spoke of an explicit reward for love the way that he described it, the way that he put it out. Why should you love your enemies? Why should you pray for those who persecute you? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Loving your neighbor, that's tax collector kind of love. Love your enemy. Love your enemy and you're a son. You're a daughter of God. And there is no better reward than that. No better reward. So applying this in, in our life, remember your reward. Remember your reward. Here in Matthew's gospel, in, in this that we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew chapter 5, where in Matthew's record, it's the first time that Jesus described God as Father. And it's not just a figure of speech that Jesus is using here. Jesus is making this grand revelation that we, mere humans, can be children of God. That's a big deal. It was a big deal to that first century audience. Why would such a concept be so huge to them? Jesus was accused of blasphemy for claiming that he was the son of God. And here he reveals to this crowd of just ordinary Galileans, you can be children of God too. Not that they're going to be divine, not that they're going to be without sin, but that they can share in this relationship, this parent-child relationship. It's way different than master and slave, boss and servant. This is a bond that's beyond that, that's deeper than that. It's a family bond. A bond that it makes this relational connection between us as individuals and God the creator. That's huge. That's big. And, and we know. We have, the, uh, we, we have this, great, uh, this great blessing of hindsight. We know from the scriptures that followed the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We know... When we believe and we receive that Jesus died to make restitution for our sins, when we believe that, we become sons and daughters of God. And what a reward that is. What a reward. The New Testament apostle Paul, he describes this beautifully in his letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, with Christ in you, it's as If an adoption has taken place, God has taken you as his own. You become a child of God, an heir, an heir of God the Father, a co-heir with Jesus. We have the, the great benefit of knowing that's true. But to this first century audience of Jesus sitting there on the hill, hearing that they could be children of God, this is a revolutionary concept. And, and yes, if they thought about their, their scriptures 
our Old Testament, there are references in the Old Testament about God as Father. But the context is that God's the Father of a people, the Father of a nation. Those references speak to this relationship of a covenant with God and, and, and a nation. Jesus is expressing something way more personal, individual. You can have an individual parent-child relationship with God. You can be a child of God. And Jesus made, made it clear that this relationship, it's rooted in love. And a love that surpassed boundaries of loving those that we deem deserving of love. His love is beyond that, a boundless love. Even love for enemies, the unlovely. How can we do it? How can we love our enemies? Remember your reward. Remember you're a child of God. And then imitate your father. Jesus was driving home a point. And I, prayer, I paraphrase. If you want to have the ideal character of a person, the essence of Jesus, if you want to have the ideal character of a person, the true character which God intended for mankind, you have to see God as the pattern. You have to see God as the pattern. See your father as the pattern. A child takes on the pattern of the parent. So, love what you do not desire to love because that's the pattern. Love those who are oppugnant, that are antagonistic, that are opposing you, even cursing you. Love them. Such love, this is primary to God's character. It's a primary foundational element of the divine character of God, our heavenly father. How did Jesus describe it? Our heavenly father causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. It rises up on them. And, it, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What does that say about the love of God? It's impartial. There's this impartial goodness, this divine kindness. There's a grace that flows to the undeserving. God's rain just doesn't fall on the deserving. God's son doesn't just rise up and shine on the deserving. If that were the case, it'd be awfully dry and cold. Because none of us are deserving. No one is deserving. For God so loved the world, not because the world was deserving or had earned any of his love. It's, because, it's not because we're good. It's because he is good that he loves us. God exudes love. So now bring that picture to mind. To bring that picture to mind that we talked about earlier, the person that just, they must, they're compelled to express their craft. They can't keep it in. It's got to come out. They radiate it. They ooze it. 
They have this singular focus. This is, this is just a, a scratch. It's just a weak image of God who oozes and radiates love. That's his nature and his character. And he's, it's as if he's compelled to express himself through love. Our image is just, it, it's just a weak example. As his child, that's the very nature and character we are to recognize as the pattern to conform to. And when we do, when we, when we conform to that pattern, we lay down partiality. We put aside prejudice. We don't see people as one way or another and, 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 and say, well, that one's deserving and that one isn't. The evil and the good. As a child of God, we're to pour out our rain, our help, our warmth, our love on the righteous and the unrighteous, the evil and the good. As a child of God, imitate your father. And then be perfect. That's the last line of Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 48. And it's one of those verses you just, we just want to skip over. We just got to skip that one. We should wipe that one out, shouldn't we? Be perfect, really? Seriously, who can be perfect? It's an impossibility. And yet Jesus is saying, be perfect. How can he say that? How can he say that to this group of people? He couldn't have meant it, right? I'll never attain perfection. I know that. Jesus must have meant something else, right? He must have meant something totally different. It's a very interesting line of scripture. And I thought, well, perhaps the, uh, perhaps the version of the English Bible that I'm reading, maybe this is the only one that says this word perfect. I'll look it up in some other English versions and find out maybe that there's other ways to see this, other interpretations. So I looked at 61 English Bibles. In nearly every single one of them, well over 90%, 57 of them use the word perfect. And most of them read identically. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. All right, well, we need to now understand that. What does it mean? What does that mean? It's not perfection in the pharisaical sense of perfection, that sense of perfection that the Pharisees taught the people of Jesus' day, that first century audience. For them, perfection was laid out in a set of rigid rules. Follow these rules to attain perfection. But the direction of Jesus here is not a command to follow a set of rules. He doesn't say, do ABC, one, two, three, and then you'll be... Be perfect. Then you'll reach perfection. He didn't say act this way to reach perfection. No, no. He said it a little differently. Be perfect. Be perfect. And that's a, that's a state of being. And being what? Jesus continued. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And there it is again. There is this connection to the Father. 
Jesus isn't saying an act like God. He's saying aim to be like God. Be godly. Not a conformity to a set of behavioral criteria, but aspiring to a state of being. How can that come about for us? How could that be? Jesus said, as your heavenly father is perfect, that that relationship, that reward wording there is presented again. The father and child relationship, that implies patterning. It implies being like your parent, your father. There's a similarity, a similarity in nature and character. Pattern yourself after your heavenly father. Jesus is repeating this. He's doubling down on this image. And it's this reward image. Pattern yourself after your heavenly father who's perfect. He's not commanding sinless perfection, but an ambition, a, a determined aim to be more godlike. Our goal on earth, it's, it's not happiness. It's holiness. And that's entirely different than happiness. Holiness, aiming to be godlike. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is saying, be like God. Not perfect in the, the, the sense that we can be all-knowing, that we're unfailing as God is unfailing. No, but that we imitate God. Remember that he loves the unlovely. He forgives the undeserving. Even some that we might say are unforgivable. Christ Jesus is declaring a pattern for us here to imitate and that's God's nature God who makes the sun to shine on the good and the evil and he lets his rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous the just and the unjust alike that being the case why bother if the rain falls on the unjust and the sun shines on the wicked why bother right why, why don't we just be wicked? Eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow we may die. God's rain and, and, and his sunshine pours on us if we're nick, wick, wicked. What's, why do we need to even deal with this Jesus? Because God's perfect love, be perfect, God's perfect love is not without justice. Yeah, God's love is poured out on the unrighteous. That's true. Poured out on the wicked, the just and the unjust. Yet the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then why is he, why is he blessing them? Why does he pour out his love? Well, there's a purpose. And it, it's to draw to eternal life. You know what I'm glad of? I'm glad that God loved me when I was undeserving. I'm glad that God loved me when I wasn't going to inherit the kingdom of God. I'm glad that God loved me when I was unlovable and I was lost in my sin. God loved me when I was outside the kingdom. And God loved you when you were outside the kingdom, when we were lost in our sin and transgressions. God loved us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ, his 
only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but gain eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. No, but to save the world through Jesus. God's love, it's demonstrated in this amazing, amazing invitation to all. Not condemnation, but an invitation to have your eyes open and see your own imperfections and realize it. And turn toward that love and repentance. His love for for the wicked does not contradict his justice. It's love for them so that they can come to the place where they see how far they are from God. and How truly fallen they are. And how short they are of, of deserving any kind of love. And then turn in repentance. For all of us who've come to Christ, that's our story. That is, that's where we were. We were lost in our sins, and God loved us to the place where we turned our hearts over to him. And that's the image of the father in the parable of the prodigal son, where the son demands his inheritance, and the father loves him and just gives it to him. He, he lavishes it. His inheritance on him, even though the son rejects him and leaves. When the son realized that he was hopeless and that he was in the state of, of just filth and how undeserving he was, he vowed to say, I'll be your servant. I'll be your slave, not your son. But the father forgave him. The father welcomed him back. The father put a ring on his finger, had a great banquet for him, and said, you're my son. Not my servant, you're my son. The wicked do not inherit the kingdom of God, yet God expresses his love to the unjust that they might turn from their wickedness and repent and come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus summons us all to love like that. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So today, tomorrow, later this week, this month, as you encounter someone else, as you encounter others, others that may see things vastly different than you, it might be the pandemic policy it's causing issues political opinions cultural norms and notions some may unload on you because your stance on these things is totally different than theirs or they might just be ornery people they just might be disagreeable they might not like you for all sorts of reasons the way you dress the way you look the way you talk the sound of your voice they're harsh They're hurtful. They're condescending to you. When that happens, when you meet that person today or tomorrow or sometime in the future, will you bless them or curse them? Will you welcome them or reject them? Will you pray for them or forget about them? You going to give him some warmth or turn the cold shoulder 
Christians, you are children of God. Follow the pattern of your heavenly Father. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you know, people just walk all over you. You turn a blind eye to injustice. No, it shows you're a child of God. It shows you have an eternal reward. Keep that in mind to inspire you. To inspire you to imitate your heavenly Father and his perfect love. And know this, we're never going to be perfect in this life in the sense of sinlessly perfect, unfailing. It's something we aim for. It's something we strive for. And when we pass over to the next life, our perfection is found in one and one and only, and his name is Jesus Christ, the divine son of God. Humanity and divinity were united in Jesus. He was and he is the only perfect human. And when our time comes to stand before Almighty God, if we've rejected Jesus, God's going to see us for who we are. You see all those imperfections, everything about us. But if we've believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he gave his life to save us from divine justice, then God's going to see the perfection of Jesus in front of us. And that's an amazing gift. God will see us as he sees Jesus. We're co-heirs with him. And that's the pinnacle. That's the height of God's love. He gave his only son to be in our place. But we have to come to that place of repentance and receiving God's loving gift of his son. Let's keep that in mind as we go out into the week. Let's stand and pray as we close our service. Remember God's love. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Can we imitate his love? Can we set down some of these things that have caused so much just tribulation, issues, trouble? Even in the church. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or love someone who just makes your life a little bit uncomfortable. All of it. This is what God is calling us to. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. You loved us while we were unlovable, while we were lost in our sin. You loved us to the place of repentance and turning our lives over to you. Without that love, we'd be lost forever. Help us to model it, God. Help us to be like you. Help us to aim for that perfection to be more God-like. I know it sounds impossible to be perfect, but God, 
with you and the Holy Spirit in us. We can imitate you. Help us, God. Help us to that end. Lord, if there's anyone in our lives that have caused us unrest, hurt, trouble, Father, help us. Help us to see them as you see them. Someone lost and struggling and in need of warmth and in need of rain, hydration in their life. God, help us to see that and be that and to show them warmth and not cold. God, help us all in this time that's been so polarized and divisive. Help us to unite with others and to show them your love. Thank you, God. Thank you. God, if there's anyone, Father, who's never really yielded their heart to your love, anyone who's hearing my voice today, God, who wants your love, who who desires, who they know they're unlovable, they know they're undeserving, God, you'll receive their true, heartfelt, genuine repentance. You'll receive them, God, and you'll, you'll pour out more love and blessing on them. You'll give them eternal life. You'll call them children. God, I pray if there's anyone making that turn right now, Lord, that you would receive that heart and bless that heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless us as we go, Lord. Be our portion today. Grant favor upon your people as we go, Lord. That when we encounter those that cause us cause us to, to, to be troubled, that might raise up anger in us, that will show them our love. God, bring testimonies of it. Bless your people as they go. And we thank you. We give it all to you. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.